0: The Charles Adler Show starts now. If I sound a little bit hyperbolic uh, today, it's not the Hungarian-born blood, okay? (laughs) Yes, I I get into some vivid imagery. Everyone who knows me knows that. If you don't know me, if I'm brand new to you, 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 you'll get to know that the vivid imagery is, is part of my my blood supply—it's the only way I can put it. I've, I've got hot Hungarian blood flowing through me, uh, despite the fact that I have been living in Canada uh, for more than 60 years. I was born in in that country. I have that DNA, and I tend sometimes to get a little bit, a little bit overamped. And I'm a little more than a little overamped today because uh, we have a guest who has a record—a serious record, not criminal record, but a record as a criminal lawyer. More importantly a prosecutor in the Canadian system. She is based in in British Columbia. She's a journalist, now a columnist for the National Observer. Uh, But you can take Sandy Garasino out of the courts. You can't take the courts out of Sandy Garasino without further ado. Sandy, welcome to only our second edition of our brand new Charles Adler Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thanks so much for joining me. I mean, I'm so excited to actually be invited onto this. Charles, this is like, this is phenomenal that you're doing this and everybody knows that podcasts are the future. So um, here here comes the future, and I'm thrilled to be part of this.
0: They're, they're the future for a, a number of reasons. Uh, putting aside all of the aspects about the business and why the general media business has been in decline, and we'll come back to that in a few moments because we're about to talk about uh, Bill C-17, and and there are some people who believe that if, if, if Facebook and Google – Behave themselves, as it were, that that that'll that'll prop up journalism, and maybe maybe fingers crossed, uh, journalism uh, can get back some seasoned experience to people that it's sorely missing right now. Missing them because they're getting fired literally every day. So we'll get to that in in a few moments. But I think one of the reasons that podcasts are uh, such a hit uh, all over the world right now is there is something more authentic in podcasts, there is something more passionate about, but most important, there's an, there's an empathy uh, factor that is uh, on full display certainly on the podcasts that are getting a lot of attention and uh, i'll keep my fingers crossed that whatever empathy i brought to the microphone in the last 50 years uh, will not be diminished in this uh, exercise that we're engaged in right now we've only done one this is our second and so i have a feeling that uh, people will know exactly what i'm talking about it's one thing to talk about it it's another thing to do it uh, you're about to have a conversation folks about to listen to one with uh, one of the most empathetic people I have ever known, both in journalism and in law. Sandy, you have been on fire of late. Uh, you're even calling um, companies like Facebook and, and Google uh, mobsters, uh, Silicon Valley mobsters. I know you, and I know how cautious you are, especially about saying things that sometimes can be considered libelous or defamatory. There's no way that you'd be calling them mobsters unless it was an evidence-based thing. You don't have that hot Hungarian blood. You're very cool. You're very rational. You're very reasoned. You're exactly the person that we want on today. And so I just wonder if we could start from the very beginning. Why would you go out on a limb and call Facebook and Google people who are doing mob-like or engaged in mob-like behavior. That's not the kind of thing I generally hear from you.
1: Well, these companies are um, exercising, they they are abusing their monopoly power. And let's just go straight to Google, even though I think of Facebook as a worse example. I mean, they are using what I would call mob tactics. They are threatening the Canadian government. And I know that there are lots of listeners, lots of people out there, Um, and well-informed people that don't like Bill C-18, the Online News Act. Um, And and I I understand that there are a lot of good arguments why we would oppose that. But look at what's happening here. Um, Whatever the the positives or negatives of that bill are, it has been passed. It has gone through the democratic process. It has been passed by a duly elected parliament. And Senate, and it is the law of the land in Canada. Now, Facebook and Google are threatening the Canadian government that they are effectively going to shut down Canadian access to news content. And let's just look at how serious that is. First of all, they are foreign monopolies. Google in particular has uh, a 97% share of the search function in Canada. So when Canadians want to look up uh, a news story about corruption in their municipal council, uh, if they wanna look up a news story about um, uh, something that their premier said or did or contact that their premier may or may not have had with criminal defendants, they're not going to be able to find that. Google and Facebook have said that if, the, if Canada, the, the The law is due to come into force, I believe in January, I'm not exactly sure of the date, but that if Canada continues this, they are going to block all Canadian access to Canadian news. That's you and me will not be able to find uh, uh, news coverage of evacuation routes, news coverage of political corruption, news coverage of climate events, we're not going to be able to find Canadian news. And that's a mobster tactic. That's a direct threat because it's actually un- it's it's unthinkable that Canadians will be deprived of access to their own news through ordinary Google searches. You'll have to go to CTV or the CBC or Post Media to, to search on their sites to get it. And everybody understands in today's world um, what that what that really means that the average person who's not a news junkie like you and i are charles the average person um just is going to do a quick search and and if they can't find it well they'll move on to something else so this is a direct challenge to a democratically elected government to shut down it's a it's a blackmail it's an extortion attempt in in my view um and i don't think there's much question about that
0: so, so once again, for people who don't know Sandy Garasino, like I do, she does not use words like extortion and, and threat and blackmail and mob uh, loosely. This is something that she has studied assiduously, very, very carefully and very meticulously because she too does not want to face uh, legal exposure. Uh, Sandy Garasino, I want to ask about um, this business of, of, of search. There are many people who feel that all they have to do to search all of these stories that you're talking about is to go into the mainstream sites. So let's just name them. Uh, CBC, uh, Global, owned by uh, Chorus, uh, CTV, uh, Rogers, uh, City TV, and others. Uh, They've all got search capacity in those sites, or at least it looks like they do. They've got a little circle and they tell you to search. Are you telling me that when people go for searches in those particular websites that they depend on Google and regardless of whether or not they go to those those sites, CBC and the rest, they may not find what they're looking for if Google goes through with its threat.
1: Well, that's a technical question that I'm not sure of the answer to. The way that you're asking me makes me think that you know something that I haven't tweaked to yet about that. I'm not exactly certain how that search function goes, but I know how the average person acts and behaves. The average person just, hits their browser and it's automatically probably set to Google. They're, they could very likely be on Chrome, um, but even if they're if they're on something else, if they're on Safari or something else, 97% of us, if we go to search something, we, we go no further than the search function that's on our browser. And uh, it takes, like I say, it takes a real news junkie to say, okay, Well, I really wanna see this coverage in this publication. You and I know that um, different news outlets, different journalists, different columnists, different opinion writers, different um, uh, personalities in the media environment are going to have different takes on issues. They're going to report them a little bit differently, maybe cast them in a a different light. So if you wanna search, uh, you know, for instance, we've just gone through the Danielle Smith, through the through the election in Alberta, if you want to search, well, what do you, you know, how do you get information about about that election, you're going to see on a Google page, you're going to see pages and pages, but let's start with the top five hits are going to be from different publications right and and we all know that different publications will have different takes you might want to decide oh this this take looks interesting it looks like there's a detail here that i didn't know about i'm going to go to this one so most of us want to do a comparative analysis when we're searching and and or the average person just wants to get what's the top hit i'm going to go there
0: there's no, doubt, there's no doubt in my mind. Uh, the average person just uses Google for everything. Yes, some people use Bing and, and some others, but as you say, it's a virtual monopoly. 97%, I think we can all agree, 97% is, is, is more than just a lion's share. So look, um, everything always comes down uh, to the money. We can talk about uh, principles until the cows come home. If Google and, and Facebook are going to boycott Canadian news, it's because they feel that the uh, government of, of Canada wants too much money. So let's Talk about the money. How much money does the Canadian government expect to retrieve from Google and Facebook, these two giants? Money which would then go, in the main, to major players in the news industry, because that's what this is—a kind of a redistribution uh, thing. But before it gets redistributed, we want to know, and I think most people are not quite aware of just how much money, how much advertising revenue. Google and Facebook are pulling out of the Canadian environment. I have a feeling that when people hear what the money is all about, they'll go, oh my God, is, is that, uh, w- would Google and Facebook really boycott over such a, 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 a small percentage of the kind of share of the market that they're taking? So let's just talk specifically. I don't usually want to talk about numbers. I just want two numbers. One number is the revenue the haul that Google and Facebook are taking out of Canada, and the other number is the number that Canada wants back. So let, let's start with how much money Google and Facebook are making in the Canadian environment.
1: Um, a- According to, um, to according to published research, I don't have the name of the institute right in front of me, but according to published research, it's $10 billion in 2021, $10 billion in 2021 that left Canada. And as far as I have been able to determine is not taxed here in Canada. So that's basically going out tax-free to uh, whichever jurisdiction is most tax advantageous for Facebook and Google to operate from. It may be Ireland, but I'm not sure if that's that's the case in Canada, $10 billion. And by the way, um, uh, that's the 2021 number. Worldwide, uh, uh, Google and Facebook earned $400 billion in 2022 globally, up 30% from 2021. So they are probably up in Canada, well over $10 billion at this point. And um, the Parliamentary Budget Office has given an estimate that the uh, revenue return to Canadian news publishers will be roughly $300 million, but that will there will be some costs in in administering that. So I think the total cost is about uh, $329 million. In other words, 3.3% is all that the Canadian government is asking from these companies
0: okay so i'm not going to accuse uh, google and and facebook of not paying taxes they don't pay taxes in canada but they they pay taxes elsewhere we're not absolutely sure where we know that they're technically based in 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 silicon valley but i'm sorry go ahead
1: they don't pay canadian taxes right
0: okay so just i just want i want to be crystal clear about this they don't pay one dime of canadian tax even though they make 10 billion not million 10 billion in canada and the Canadian government is only asking for approximately 300 million, approximately 3% of the haul that Facebook and Google are taking right now. So Sandy Garzino, it's difficult for people to believe that Google and Facebook would get their knickers and a knot because of this 3%. Is it possible that they feel that if they give in to Canada on this, That there's a much bigger haul that they'll be paying in other countries that want to do what what canada's doing
1: well this is undoubtedly what is bothering them this is undoubtedly what they're most alarmed about california has legislation uh, on the books and so does the u.s u.s um government does um and uh so the so the U S government is seeking to, to impose something on this nature. Uh, California is the, the companies have threatened California with exactly the same threats that they're making, uh, against Canada. And, um, uh, I just want to clarify one thing. I think I may have said tax evasion by them um, and which is probably what you were what you were flicking to, Charles, it's tax avoidance. They are absolutely as is everybody and, and every corporation entitled legally to avoid taxes. We, we can't evade taxes so um, uh, but they but as far as I have been able to determine they are not taxed in Canada on that ten billion dollars um,
0: Both of us, Sandy, have a lot of experience in, in, in mainstream media, so not, neither of us are renegades and neither of us uh, plan to abandon the principle that we will speak lawfully and we're not here to libel, we're not here to be defamatory. Uh, both of us, I think, I, I hope I'm okay in speaking uh, for you on this, uh, both of us can do just fine in life without violating the law, and so there's no intention here. So if the word evasion needs correction, there you go. Uh, Sandy Garacino is correcting it as as she should. Uh, evasion is against the law. Avoidance is not against the law. Uh, companies like Google, Facebook, and companies that are exponentially smaller uh, spend a lot of money on tax lawyers to make sure that they can avoid paying as much tax as necessary. That is simply a traditional free enterprise. So let's just be clear here. If it was only about Canada, this might not even be a story. But Google is worried that if they go along with Canada, it becomes the slippery slope in other jurisdictions like California, like the United States. Help me out with this, uh, Sandy Garasino. If the United States as a whole wanted to do exactly the same thing that Canada is doing, why would it make a difference whether or not this succeeded in Canada? Uh, couldn't uh, the United States uh, implement its own uh, system of uh, recouping money from giants like Google and Facebook? Uh, couldn't it do it on its own? Doesn't it have everything it needs? Does it really matter uh, what uh, the, their cousin to the north does?
1: Well, I think that everybody is watching what Canada does Um There's no question that Facebook and Google are attempting to intimidate legislators um, south of the border. By the way, this legislation uh, has bipartisan support, at least in California. I'm not sure if it's bipartisan support in the United States as well. There's no question that both parties are actually looking to increase their regulatory oversight of the large tech companies. Um, and, and I think most of us who are informed about this know that Australia went through this and, and these same companies uh, threatened um, Australia with, with exactly the same draconian um, measures, um, <clears throat> which I I think what we have to bear in mind is that these are foreign monopolies. They have a monopoly power that it's an absolute vice grip on the Canadian economy. Um, yes, America can do this. I think everybody around the world is watching. A number of European uh, press councils, I believe out of uh, the UK, uh, Scandinavia, Europe, the EU, uh, a number of press councils have issued a very, very strong statement um, condemning Facebook and Google for their attempts to, uh, to strong arm the Canadian government here. They are pointing to the fact that this is Democratically passed legislation, and it is the uh, it is the obligation of every corporate citizen to abide by democratically democratic laws that are passed in in every country. So all of the the whole world is watching. I think I think Canadians would be very surprised to see um, Amy Senator Amy Klobuchar tweeted support for Canada. Senator Senator Elizabeth Warren tweeted support for Canada. I believe the California members of the California government have the um, uh, British, uh, uh, the, the former uh, British Minister of Technology, um, tweeted support for Canada. The support is coming in from around the world to stand up to these companies and not let them um, uh, bully us and and get their get their heels off our necks.
0: Sandy Garcia, do, doesn't every sovereign country, and Canada is one of the many have the right uh, to use, in our case, we call it the the CRA, the Canadian Revenue Agency. In the States, it's the IRS. But uh, doesn't a sovereign country like Canada have the capacity and also the capacity to enforce tax laws to simply impose? You're talking about uh, 3% is what they want back, and they're doing it, trying to do it, C-18. Can't they just say, uh, you know, as of January 1st, uh, 2024, there's a 3% uh, digital tax on all advertisers like Facebook, uh, like Google. What what would be the problem with that and how on earth uh, could any company say, we're not gonna pay taxes?
1: Well, we don't have the jurisdiction to impose um, taxes and any form of income tax on a foreign um, registered company. Remember, Facebook's servers are not domiciled in Canada. So if you or I want to put a buy a facebook ad we're basically buying a service from a company that is located outside canada it's not operating in canada it's yes it's taking our money the same way as we can uh, you know we can buy something off nordstrom or amazon site from a u.s seller or a seller out of the Caribbean or Europe or wherever, and they pay taxes. The sellers pay taxes in the company or in the country where they're domiciled for tax purposes. So we don't have jurisdiction um, necessarily. You know, it's impossible to to it's it's impossible to verify this because we can't look at the at the um, tax at the tax filings of of Facebook. But I've looked at their financial financial reports and i don't see any indication that they are filing in canada except for their small canadian subsidiaries so no it's not it's not an easy matter and remember there's the usmca to to consider as well i mean there's a lot of complexity to this it is not A very easy thing to do to impose a tax on these companies. But I do think that this is a really good question, Charles, because I think this is another aspect of why Facebook and Google are coming so hard and strong at Canada, which is that by taking these measures, Canada is in a sense doing an end run around this tax sheltering system that they have around the world. And they know that if they allow Canada to impose a 3% tax, well then along is going to come the UK and France and Germany, and they're going to start to impose, and this is going to be the thin edge of the wedge, and they're going to take the same point of view that Pierre Polyev takes about the carbon tax, which is you're just going to start this small so that we can't feel it, and then you're going to start ramping it up. So I think that this is also seen as a measure a a, a measure to get around um, the jurisdiction issues with Income tax and to start imposing effectively a tax that could be that is some kind of surcharge.
0: Sandy Garris, you know it's fair for people who are brand new to this, and my suggestion to you is that most people who are listening to this podcast or watching it right now are relatively new to the subject, and they're kind of wondering. What what's the setup for this? What is it that the Canadian media did or didn't do to make this happen? When you when you talk about uh, Facebook and Google stealing the the lion's share, and you use the word stealing, I mean the legally legally uh, getting the lion's share of advertising dollars that used to go to radio stations, newspapers, and TV stations primarily. Why is it that Facebook and Google were so successful at taking? Revenue that used to go to the mainstream Canadian media, and now it's in the in the hands and the coffers of two San Francisco-based companies called Google and Facebook. How did this happen?
1: Well, and 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 uh, and and remember that they didn't just take it; they also grew it. There are two kind of um, primary uh, pillars to how this how this happens. Well, let's face it: the advertising. I'll just start with this um, for Canadians to know Facebook and Google, just the two of them. We're not talking about the other tech giants, Apple and Microsoft and, and Amazon, any of these others, these two companies in particular, and only them, completely revolutionized the advertising, the targeted advertising model so that they were able to specifically, and we saw this with the 2016 election, they were able to specifically target individual um, users who might be susceptible to, uh, might be susceptible to uh, the, what they call relevant advertising and this was vastly more efficient for anybody who wants to if you or i want to advertise yeah we want to get the customers we want to pay only what it's going to cost to get the customers that are gettable for us we don't want to spend far more dollars to get or put our ads in front of eyeballs that really are not interested in our products. So there was this efficiency. They undercut the advertising model, which was the only business model that news and journalism had, was selling advertising, newspapers classified ads, print ads. But also other, other advertising. And what all advertisers were able to determine was that the Facebook and Google models were vastly more efficient, lower cost, much easier to get the, the, uh, the eyes that they wanted. But there, but there was something much more insidious. That uh, these companies did. Remember, Google owns um, YouTube and Facebook. We're talking about Meta, and Meta owns Facebook, Instagram, and another uh, and other platforms. What they did was something vastly more significant, and we all kind of know this in our gut. We all can be. T- we all understand about. Internet addiction. We're seeing it in our kids. We're seeing it on our own lines, in our own lives. Go into any coffee shop right now. If you're in a coffee sh- shop right now, look up and look around. And what is everybody doing? They're on their phones. Facebook and Google, in particular, but Facebook more than anything, um, any other company, used the billions of users as data-mining sources where they could learn about human behaviors. What what is going to tweak our brains? What is going to make us stay, um, stay online? What is going to... So they were able to capture our attention. They were able to hold our attention. What holds our attention? Extremist content, angry content. Um, ben Smith, who is the uh, former the news editor of BuzzFeed News, and we all know BuzzFeed News, like that, that was built off the internet. That's not some old dinosaur. That was built off the internet. They closed their news division in April because they could not provide news content that could compete with, the, with just the viral garbage that is going around. As, as Tristan Harris, who is the uh, founder, one of the founders of the um, um, uh, Humane, the Center for Humane Technology, says that these companies understood very early on, because they were getting the data, that we are guided by paleolithic emotions. We have medieval institutions, and they have godlike technology. We are Absolutely sitting ducks. So they promoted and they fed us sites that would grab our that grab our attention, would make us angry, would especially um, make us angry about race, about gender, about um, LGBTQ, about women, um, about uh, about Muslims about children the the sexualizing of children the content that is sexualizing children and then here they are having having all these uh, this content about how everybody's a groomer and everybody is a pedophile and that just grabs people's attentions we cannot stay away from it
0: sandy garasino for the last number of years people have tried to say that the uh, anger out there is all generated by trump and the right-wing ecosystem Are you telling me that they wouldn't be able to do this without uh, the Facebooks and the Googles? Are you telling me that the real culprit, the real root cause of the anger isn't Donald Trump? It's Mark Zuckerberg.
1: Donald Trump was an opportunist. He understood. I mean, Donald Trump is kind of a genius. He understands that paleolithic mind, doesn't he? I don't think anybody can deny that he is just absolutely honed in. He's actually wired wired for that. Um, So in a way, Facebook enabled him and enabled the kind of content that 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 he loves to promote. But it also opened the doors to vastly more. Um, And even people who are upset by it, I might be upset by an awful lot of the content I see, I get upset when I see all the promotion of um, RFK Jr. promoting anti-vax garbage and Joe Rogan putting up, giving a platform to this. So I'm paying attention, you know, this is the attention economy. And um, what these companies will do is they are going to suck up our attention until there is no more attention left. Look at all the kids who are awake at two o'clock in the morning on their phones. Look at this addiction that we have in our society. And then think about the vulnerable people and how incredibly easy it is for people who may be unstable to get whipped into a frenzy um, and go out and attack people that they have been taught on social media um, are causing all the problems and are victimizing other
0: people. But Sandy, let's let's be absolutely clear here. There is nothing about C eighteen. If Facebook and Google shook hands with the Canadian government, and said no problem, uh, you win. Let's just let's just move on. Uh, none of that. None of their agreement with C eighteen would stop any of what, what you're talking about. Uh, addiction, people being on the internet all day, people being uh, attracted uh, to a, a Neanderthal uh, way of life, uh, people being attracted to extremists in, in the sense of paying attention to extreme, extremists. And even if most people aren't attracted, certainly it's it's obvious that some are getting radicalized. None of that big picture problem would be eviscerated by C-18. Ab-
1: absolutely not. But I think what these companies are afraid of is thats that... Is that um, Governments are going to start to demand uh, more transparency and more accountability. They want the governments are going to start, and, and um, the EU has been uh, has been out in front on this in seeking data, in seeking disclosure, uh, and starting to starting to regulate this. So I think there's a there's a much bigger issue. But let's just go back. I'm not sure. I might might have missed um, one of your questions, um, Charles. You were asking about uh, how much were the is the Canadian news industry out um and the canadian uh, i was i looked at the financial records whatever i could find of um the torstar uh media group and post media and since 2011 they are both down 600 million dollars a year in um uh ad, in in payroll so those are reporters' jobs. Those are that's journalism that we're not getting. Just imagine what six hundred million dollars in journalism um, would do for this country in terms of us having information about our own, our local environments, our city councils, our provincial governments, our MLAs, or just news that is going going on in in our communities. And that's just the print. That has nothing to do with uh, Bell Media, which just eviscerated um, um, just slashed jobs at CTV and um, I believe it's six news, uh, six radio stations that were shut down. So this is this is industry. This is industry wide. So it is a crisis for our news and it is essential for democracy that Canadians are able to access news.
0: Sandy, what's your hunch? Uh, you know, I don't like to just ask uh, uh, for, for hunches uh, for, for no reason. There's a reason, method to my madness here, uh, because you can't answer this question, so all you can do is speculate here within the realm of speculation. Based on what you have seen in the industry most recently with the, with the, the meat axe uh, treatment that uh, people got at Bell, do you honestly believe that if Bell uh, got a, a slice mm-hmm of the $300 million that the Canadian government is looking for. Do you honestly think that those experienced people would get their jobs back? Do you think that Bell would stop doing what it's doing? And I'm just using Bell because Bell's the most recent example because all all of these companies have problems with their business models. All of these people have been uh, trimming uh, personnel. Bell has been a little more obvious about it. But do you think that they would change their behavior if C-18 was the kind of uh, law that Facebook and Google decided to abide by?
1: Well, they wouldn't want to, um, and it's going to take, I mean, I think that we're just getting started on this. To me, I think there's there there's no question that there are serious flaws with the legislation. I just wanna see us get started on this, and then as we go along and we learn um, and see how, how it operates in the real world, um, that we that we may have to impose um, um, a little bit more control over how that how that money is spent because let's face it Bell is a very profitable enterprise I think Kevin Newman had a blog post out pointing out that that Bell doesn't Bell's not losing money Bell's making money it increased its its um, it, it, it 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 increased its revenues this last year but the news division is losing out and that's the thing and one thing that i want to point out because there people do talk about they talk about national observer which i write for and other small media outlets like the thai like Canada Land, and other small media outlets and that's all all well and good but i can tell you because i know the insides of these operations these are very small operations they run on a shoestring when i look at the fact that the vancouver sun and vancouver province actual um, uh flagship news outlets in this in the province of British Columbia, the two largest print they have closed their newsrooms, Charles. There isn't a newsroom there. Now you and I who come out of news and come out of journalism, know there's a, there are sinews and connective tissues, there's history, there's institutional memory. These are things that it's actually not possible for small operations to To go out and 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 replicate it it actually is um, a large operation. If you look at the movie Spotlight, you know, go back and look at at, at the exposure that the Boston Globe did of of um, the Catholic um, the Catholic priest child abuse story and how much institutional. Um, expertise and history and knowledge went into that kind of story. Small journalistic operations don't have the bench strength to do that. I do think somebody should stand up at least to say, and I'm the last person to defend Post Media, because I think that they basically sell Rex Murphy uh, um, columns. I think that's their business model, sell Rex Murphy columns but there but i think we have to we ha, do have to speak up for the institutional institution of the press room and of 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 a of a larger news organization
0: i, I don't disagree with you it's just that my, my my problem is i've got too much experience with this you know uh well and i and i I've, I've been in too many i've been in too many radio newsrooms and tv newsrooms and newspaper newsrooms all of which look like ghost towns to me And so it's very, very difficult for me to believe that these newsrooms that have been emptied of human beings, uh, it's really difficult for me to believe that uh, the Canadian government, uh, because $300 million may sound like a lot of money, but spread out among all of the media, $300 million is chump change. It's very difficult for me to believe. I'd like to believe it, but I'd like to believe in the tooth fairy. I'd I'd like to believe that $300 million is going to put... Bodies, warm bodies, experienced, seasoned, committed news bodies into all those newsrooms. Sandy, you don't really buy that, and, and I certainly don't.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 chasing. I recognize, by the way, that I'm chasing a kind of fantasy here because these things are gone, and they don't they don't come back. They won't come back in their same form. Um, and and I actually have never been. Um, really motivated to defend this particular version. But I think that it's important to start and I think it's important for Canadians to understand um, how much has been gutted from the operation of the the newsroom. Um, I mean, one of the things that's kind of the irony here or or, um, um, in, in a way, the quandary is that the business model of the news industry has never been to sell news spin to sell advertising um directed at news consumers and that's a different thing and i think that kind of that has been exposed as the, as as the problem here
0: sandy garacino uh Getting uh, beyond uh, all of this uh, business about whether some money going back to media will uh, will will bring some some journalism back to Canada, because I do believe that's kind of uh, fanciful. Uh, once again, I'd like to believe otherwise. I just have too much uh, too much experience in in, in seeing what I've saw, and uh, I'm just not going to uh, deny that. But here's the, the question I want to ask you in terms of the 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 big picture: Is it possible that uh, when we've got a trend right now? where people are being hooked on news about extremism and extreme news. Is it possible that the people themselves have made a choice? It has nothing to do with advertising dollars. It has nothing to do with whether or not there are seasoned, experienced journalists. It's simply that this is, you know, we can call it a fad if we like. But the fact is, it's a change in behavior. Is there any reason to believe that this change in behavior among humanity, it's not just a Canadian thing, it's worldwide. Is there any reason to believe that it won't get worse, much worse, before it gets better?
1: I, I think it will get worse, and I think it is going to get far worse because what's the uh, – you and I both know the uh, phrase that we haven't mentioned yet, artificial intelligence. And and if you, only, if you look at what uh, – I mean, effectively – facebook and the algorithms of facebook that have been designed to go at exactly our subconscious perceptions in a way that we're not even aware of that was in a sense our first contact with artificial intelligence because they were using um they were using scrolling bots to determine how we were going to behave and how we were going to respond um, uh, to to content and and they and they actually and I, I should be very clear uh, and this has been reported in the Facebook files by Francis Haugen who was the Facebook whistleblower. It's been independently verified and reported by the Washington Post that what um, and and there are other there are other places that it's been that it's been um, um, documented that Facebook's algorithm found that ad dollars increased when they would when they would promote and prioritize extremist or extreme content and so their algorithm did and that is how we have young people glued to youtube watching video after video after video of of nutters going off and saying really extreme things these are place. it isn't that these are, people are randomly selecting this content. It is being selected for them. And AI has been the, the beginning of it. And now we're about to see AI has advanced at, at, at just absolutely unbelievable pace. And we're about to see um, a, a second version and man, oh man, governments have got to get on top of this fast.
0: Sandy Garasino, I'd be uh, violating uh, my commitment uh, to people who are listening uh, to this podcast if I didn't ask you to make it personal, because that's kind of what I do. Um, why are you personally involved in journalism for the National Observer right now? What is it about writing columns? What is it about investigating news that brings Sandy Garasino's values to bear? Why do you need—I I don't. I, I know I don't mean to embarrass you— but you're not doing this to put food on the table. What is it that you are putting on the table by being a journalist?
1: I mean, I do this really out of love. I care enormously about our country. I care about our children. I first got involved in really looking, um, going down the rabbit hole with Facebook and social media when Amanda Todd died, because it was immediately apparent to me as a, as a former prosecutor, it was immediately apparent of two things. Um, that she was not the only victim of this predator and that he was not the only predator out there blackmailing children online on Facebook. It it astonished me that on a company which is now valued at close to a trillion dollars, that on on a, uh, a site like that, that an anonymous adult could blackmail a, blackmail a child to death. I mean, there, are, you know, my journalism it, it covers, and my columns they cover a wide variety. It's always passion projects, and so I actually got very involved in looking at these at these companies back then, and thinking we need to have some accountability, but the public is very hard. They really saw this as a schoolyard bullying issue. They were. A and the public has been very, very late to grasp the issue of technology and the the dangers of technology in our homes. And even now, I think a lot of parents and a lot of people just feel in a sense, almost helpless. I know that, you know, I spend too much time online. Every day I get up and I'm not going to spend as much time online.
0: Me Here too. Here I am with
1: you. Me too. Me too. Me too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all of us, all of us who are honest, whether, whether we're watching or listening to this, all of us have our hands up right now going, me too, me too. <laughs> crap,
1: we are on it and we can't get off it. So, uh, yeah, it is a passion project and I, and, I, and I care enormously. And you know what? These companies, they don't care. They don't care about Canada. They don't care about you. They don't care about me. They don't care about our grandchildren.
0: So let me uh, share with you uh, why I've got a, a passion uh, for, for having Sandy Garasino on our, our second show and uh, why I, I, I love what, what you're all about. Um, without getting into all of the nitty-gritty of uh, my past and my, the past of my, my forefathers and foremothers, if that's a, a proper word, but the past of my ancestors, I think everyone who knows even a little bit about me, uh, they can certainly read about this. They can search it on Google, Bing. I don't care. You'll, you'll, you'll get it in a million different places. Uh, because I'm a child of Holocaust survivors, I'm always painfully aware that I'm a child of a situation that was all developed... Because people were willing to promote a big lie. And millions of people were prepared to be, and I'll use the word, mesmerized, hypnotized, hornswoggled, taken in, prepared to be. I'm sorry, go ahead, Sandy.
1: Bamboozled. Sorry.
0: No, that's, that's all right. Uh, because I'm painfully aware and me- millions of people just like me not just people who are children of Holocaust survivors, but there are people in this country who have come here from all over the world where their families have been taken into prisons, tortured, and yes, even murdered, like my grandparents and cousins and uncles and aunts. Many of them are painfully aware that a big lie is not just a topic for a broadcast or a podcast. A big lie is the beginning of the end for millions and millions of people. Sandy Garasino is one of the very few people in journalism I know of in this country that is 100% dedicated to uncovering people who are promoting the big lie. And that's what so much of this is all about. And Sandy, I'll I'll never stop loving what you do. I'll never stop opening the doors to you uh, for this podcast. and I'll never stop being grateful for you being here right now.
1: Well, thank you so much for your time. And Charles, you, you know, you're reminding me, you, what you're having to say reminds me of the victims of the Tree of Life Synagogue and the extremists who gunned down all the people there. There are so many Canadians, so many Americans and people around the world who are in danger today because of the violence that is being promoted online. And um, it's all our jobs to, to stand up to it. And I really thank you for this time today.
0: The National Observer. Sandy Garasino in Vancouver. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us. If you want to subscribe, you can find us everywhere that you go to for your podcasts. My name is Charles Adler. Thank you very much. Catch Charles Adler Mondays on Real Talk with Ryan Jesperson, twice a week in the Winnipeg Free Press, and every day at